What's a school to do when caught in the middle between mom and dad? What's the difference between physical and legal custody? And what exactly is shared custody? Understanding the intersection of education and family law is critically important to the relationship between families and the school. Parents have a fundamental liberty interest in directing the education of their children. But what happens when parents don't agree on matters pertaining to their child's education? Today, we're going to discuss how custody, confidentiality, and court orders can impact public school operations when family situations get complex. I'm Rich Campbell. And I'm Jonathan Huerta. We're attorneys with the Kingsbury Law Firm in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Welcome to The Legal Lunchroom. Each episode, we look at the laws that affect school boards, administrators, students, and our community. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we're joined by education attorneys Jessica Moyer and Paige Gross. Jess is the managing partner at Kingsbury and an incredibly respected, talented, and experienced attorney. And Paige is an up-and-coming associate with the firm. And we're lucky to have Paige for her second appearance on the podcast. Both attorneys split their legal practice between the education and family law worlds, giving them a unique perspective on the issues we'll be talking about today. Jess, Paige, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Rich. Thanks, Rich. Happy to be here. So we're so happy to have you both on. So let me ask you, normally, when you think of obligations of a school to its students and to the surrounding community, custody and family law issues are not at the forefront of everyone's mind. Can you give us a sense of when this intersection of issues comes into play? People would be surprised how often school administrators are faced with family law issues. Uh, The term parents is defined differently from the state level to the federal level, and there are various federal laws that define them differently. So navigating that landscape, as well as, you know, day-to-day questions, who can pick up a student on this particular day? Transportation issues, uh, who has custody of the child and is a district required to provide transportation? Uh, residency issues come into play, where or which whom parent um, has custody of the child. Uh, that dictates uh, where the child shall be enrolled in school, um, as well as uh, on top of custody orders, a, a district could be presented with a protection from abuse order that mm. deals with refraining an individual from uh, stalking, abusing, harassing a- another person. So we could see that come into play with when you have two parents possibly that may have PFAs, one has a PFA against the other, and that PFA can define custodial rights. And sometimes these PFAs will trump custody orders that have already been put in place. So it is trying to interpret, you know, a custody order, a PFA order, and where the child needs to be on any given time, Um, especially when you have parents who are calling, uh, telling school administrators that this order says one thing when, when really it says something different. Right, right. Well, thank you, Jess. That gives us a really great global sense of the issues uh, presented. So let's focus on parents. What type of rights do parents have and why is this issue so important? 
Well, parents have, you know, rights concerning day-to-day decisions with regard to the children. They also have certain rights concerning viewing documents relative to their students, so educational documents. They have rights to participate in parent-teacher conferences, coming to assemblies, various school-sponsored activities. And they have rights under uh, FERPA, the federal law, concerning their particular students' educational records. Um, And FERPA defines parents different than what Paige and I see on a daily basis when you proceed to a court here in Pennsylvania that defines parents' legal rights. And then you have FERPA who defines parents differently. So under FERPA, parents have the right to inspect the records, to see the records, um, to object if they believe there's an inaccuracy with regard to the records. You know, parents, the other uh, big intersect here is who has the right to make decisions on behalf of the child? Um, And is it one parent? Is it both parent? Is it a grandparent? Um, is it an aunt, an uncle? Um, foster parents. So it, it parents' rights um, could be very far-reaching, and, and the definition of parents is very important, so you know who has these rights with regard to the educational records and the decision-making authority on behalf of the child. And then you know, we also run into issues with emancipation, so that's also very important. So right. is it the parent's obligation or the parent's right to sign documents, to waive their rights to certain things, or is this child emancipated and now it is on the child to sign off on certain documents and or to prove residency if it is questioned. So what about that example you just gave of who can sign documents? Uh, Is there any specific guidance uh, that you can provide on that issue or is it more specific to the facts and circumstances? Well, I think you look at it as general documents, permission slips. You know, normally the parent who has custody of the child should be the individual that are signing off on those day-to-day documents that are coming home. You know, then you have documents where parents and or students are waiving rights. Uh, An example of that, if, if a child is being expelled and in lieu of going to an expulsion, they're entering into an agreement with the district to waive that hearing. Um, in exchange for something. Uh, there they are waiving specific rights that are provided to them under under law. And um, that is important. You want to make sure that you have the appropriate individual signing those documents. I know Paige is going to talk about in a little bit, there's something called legal custody. Hmm. So that is the right to make um, educational decisions on a behalf of the child. And if a school administrator is presented with a custody order, it could define who has the right to make these decisions. So it is important to uh, review and look at the documentation that you're being provided by the parents so you know exactly who can sign what documents. I heard you mention custody in there, and I think that would make sense if we talked about that next. How does custody fit into these rules for parents? Every definition of parent is going to take custody into determination. You have a biological parent, you have in loco parentis parents, which means in place of the parent. It could be an aunt, it could be an uncle. You have grandparents who may have certain custody rights, or you can even have great-grandparents who can have um, custody rights. Like just said, this will be defined 
you know, in the custody order or in some court document. You might have a situation where somebody has guardianship over a student. Maybe their parent, you know, it might be incarcerated and the other parent might be in rehab and there needs to be some sort of guardianship over the student. The school could be presented with an affidavit um, or even a court order document that that states somebody else other than the biological parent is the guardian of the student. I know generally that there are two separate definitions of custody in Pennsylvania. Can you just go into what they are and how do they come into play within the school setting? Sure. So in Pennsylvania, there's two different types of custody. You have legal custody and you have physical custody. Like Jessica mentioned before, legal custody is a parent's right to make major life decisions on behalf of the child. That incorporates medical decisions, religious decisions, and educational decisions. What we are seeing, a trend that we are seeing in the court system here, is that judges are now slicing and dicing legal custody. Hmm. And what that means is they might give mom the right to make educational decisions. They might give dad the right to make medical decisions and they have to, and maybe both mom and dad can come, have to come to an agreement regarding religion. So when a school district is presented with these custody orders, they, they might see different variations of what legal custody is. They could see shared legal custody, and that means the parents have got to agree on the educational decision of the minor child. In the event the parents do not, it is not on the school district to make that determination on behalf of the child. Like just said, school districts are not parties to a custody order. So they are not bound legally by a custody order. Right. The parents are. Okay. Um, and so you might see shared legal custody. You might see sole legal custody, which just gives one parent the sole right to make those educational decisions on behalf of the student. Or you might even see, like we said, the sliced and diced legal custody. And you have to pay particular attention to whom the court gives the legal right to make the educational decisions on behalf of the child. And then you have physical custody. And that is where... The ch- where the child is physically, where they're laying their head at night, what parent is res- physically responsible for the child or the children at what points in the day, at what points in the week. Um, you will see shared physical custody that might look like a week on, week off schedule. That will be specifically delineated in the physical custody portion of a custody order. I think that's a good segue to pivot back and talk about schools. Uh, so how will a school district know whether custody rights are established by a court? And what are the school's responsibilities regarding this information? Best practices for school districts is the beginning of the year when they are requiring parents to complete certain documentation. It is to request that if there are any updated custody orders that maybe the school district does not have in their possession to provide that documentation to the school district so they have it. Um, I think parents are very quick to volunteer their court orders in the event that they are having um, issues concerning custody. So Paige talked a little bit about, you know, what does that look like? How do you get a custody order? So custodial rights can be defined various ways. One, you can have a traditional custody order when the parents aren't able to come to an agreement concerning the custody of their children. They proceed to court. Um, After their appearance in court, they will be provided with a custody order ex 
executed by a judge that clearly defines their rights, their okay. legal rights, as Paige talked about, and right. their physical rights. Uh, you then have cases where the parents are able to come to an agreement concerning mm. the custody of their children, and they don't want to go to court, but they still want a custody order defining their rights. Right. So in those circumstances, we will draft an agreement, we will draft a stipulation, the parents will execute it, and we will submit it to the court for a judge to approve, and then it is an enforceable court order. Okay. What goes in these stipulations is very similar to what you find in an actual court order. Um, that, that again, will clearly define what rights the parents have. Um, there's informal written agreements, as Paige touched upon, which I think are horrible for a school district because informal written agreements, uh, we see notarized statements a lot. Mm. And parents believe that, you know, this will carry the day and will bind the district to comply with what is in this notarized statement. Right. Um, however, we advise our districts that, you know, that statement may not carry the day. They are not legally enforceable. We see parents changing their mind quite frequently concerning um decisions about their children. And if there were a situation and we would need assistance from police, the police are not going to enforce a notarized statement. Right. Um, so it is very uh, difficult for administrators to try to make decisions or interpret just informal written agreements when they're provided that by parents. There should be a document that parents should be able to present to administrators that specifically set out their rights if there is any dispute as to who is signing documents, who who is making decisions or who is physically removing a child from a school. So what we have here is a very complex and dynamic situation. And we all know that legal documents can be intimidating and hard to interpret. So what goes into a custody order and what should schools focus on specifically? The most important provisions in a custody order that a school should be looking at is who has legal custody right. and who has physical custody. When, if, if and when parents are arguing about whether the student is allowed to go on a field trip or if a student is presented with a waiver for expulsion, if they're going to sign that or not, they have to come to some sort of an agreement and it is then not on the school district to make that decision if they cannot. And then you have to then look at the physical custody provision, which is where the child is physically. And, you know, that comes into play a lot when we are removing the child from the school. Right. If dad comes to pick the student up and then mom comes to pick the student up, whose physical time is it actually? Check the custody order, check the physical custody provision of the custody order. Now, when it, it starts to get a little confusing is sometimes there is an interim order put in place instead of a final order put in place. So what that means is when, if and when you see an interim custody order, that means it is not a final custody order. That means that either there is a custody trial that might be months away, just likes to say the wheels of justice turn slowly. <laughs> so this is true. how you get a custody order, you go to a master and you go to a custody conference and they try to come to some sort of agreement right. regarding custody of the child. If they cannot, there is an interim order that's put in place um, pending the trial. Now, the trial might be months and months and months away from that custody conference. So mm. you will be presented with an interim order and that may or may not be turned into a final order. What school districts need to be aware of is if they are presented with an interim order and the parents are 
in disagreement of who is picking up the child or who can who can release the what the what parent the school district can release the child to pull the custody order and if it says interim order and they have not been presented with a final custody order ask them if a final custody order has been put in place okay. if not then the interim custody order will be enforceable now sometimes there are problems because parents are a little bit slow with getting these documents to school districts. Right. And sometimes you might be presented with an interim order or you might even be presented with a final order that has since been changed. Mm-hmm. Um, that is not the responsibility of the school district. That is the responsibility of the parent to make the school district aware. So if okay. you have an interim custody order or even a final custody order that may have been changed and you have not been presented with any other documentation that says otherwise, the school district's sole responsibility is to go based upon that. Right, right. It is then the onus of the parents to provide them with the updated documentation. And Rich, if I can just follow up on sure. what Paige yeah. said, you know, the uh, another important takeaway from this is, again, school districts are not bound by a custody order. Okay. So, you know, the, they cannot be found in contempt for not complying with the terms. We see a lot as school practitioners, family law attorneys writing to school districts, telling them they're in violation of the order. That's not accurate. They're hmm. not a party to the action. And sometimes the district needs to make the call as to what is in the best interests of the child. There are times where very frequently there are families who are struggling um, navigating right. a custodial action yeah. and circumstances present themselves where children don't want to go with a parent that is showing up. And we don't know what's going on at home and, and what's the dynamic between these parents. And you have a child who is refusing to get in a car with another parent. Right. You know, districts may have the custody order, but when they're calling us, we're making the determination as what we think is in the best interest of the child, hmm. you know, and if necessary, and we need to call the police to get them involved, we will do so. So while we have these custody orders in place and we should use them as a guide, the bottom line is always we are all looking out for the best interests of the child. In your experience, uh, what is the best practice when it comes to the care and safety of students who are under the supervision of a school but are subject to custody orders? I think just just kind of summarized it. The the bottom line, the principal school districts need to follow is what's in the best interest of the child, of the right. student. Like Jess said, school districts don't know what's going on at home, and it's really not their responsibility to know what's going on at home. So when it comes to releasing a child, and if that is becoming an issue, these school districts are not bound by the custody order. They they cannot be in violation of this order because they are not parties to the order. The parents are parties to the order. Right. So Good if there point. is some sort of disagreement as to who... And when a student is picked up, that is the responsibility of the parents to go figure out that conflict in a court and not to have the school districts even get their hands dirty in that mess. That's why sometimes we do call the police. Like Jess said, maybe there are multiple times when mom or dad comes to pick up a parent and the student is absolutely freaking out and refusing to get into that car. More Hmm. often than not, you know, we will call the police and have them figure out what to do. Let's talk about residency. Let's assume that when there is a custody order in place, a student's parents are separated. What does that mean in terms of residency and where the student attends school? So Rich, typically whoever has 
primary physical custody of the child is where the child is going to go to school. Okay. Um, the school code says it is where the child spends the majority of their school hours. Which parent are they with the majority of the time? Okay. Um, we have seen courts who specifically delineate that enrollment in school districts is dictated by the school code. So if a parent has primary physical custody, that means the child is primarily with them. That is the school district that they're going to go to. Hmm. If you have situations where the parents have shared physical custody, meaning 50% with mom, 50% with dad, the parents decide which district the child will go to if they're living in two separate districts. Let's move on then to the issue of transportation. So where there is shared custody, is the school district required to provide transportation to both residences? So when there is a shared custodial arrangement between the parties, there have been courts decisions that have come down that says that the school district is required to provide transportation. Now, it is not that bad when we have two parents living in the same district to provide transportation. However, there has been court cases that have come down and said when you have shared physical custody and parents reside in two different districts, the districts are required to provide transportation. However, the school code says that they do not need to transport children if they live outside a 10-mile radius from the nearest highway. So what Paige was alluding to is that we have seen many situations where courts are not aware of what the school code says. So we see court orders that will dictate that a school district provide transportation to a student who lives 26 miles away from the school district. That is not fair for the school district. That requires additional buses, vans, drivers, additional costs um, that is imposed by the court on the school district. Again, we go back to they are not a party of the custody action. So it is navigating and educating the courts requiring the school code requirements and how they intersect with custody and shared physical custody and transportation obligations. So those are really critical issues, but moving away from residency and transportation, let's talk communication. Sometimes a school district will need to communicate with parents about a student's behavior, grades, or really any issue. Who do they call when they know the parents are separated? I think the first rule of thumb is to look at who the point of contact are in in the school system. School districts want contact information for both parents. Sometimes it's tricky because if mom is in charge of signing all the documents, school districts may only have one form of contact information for one parent. School districts want to try their their best and make their best effort to get that type of information. And when it starts to become tricky is in these situations where they're separated or divorced parents, there might be an environment where they don't get along very well or they can't interact with one another. Our best piece of advice is to always follow up a phone call or a face-to-face meeting with one parent, follow it up with an email that summarizes what happened and always CC the other parent on the email. Where it becomes tricky is if one parent has a protection from abuse order against another parent, that parent is not allowed to have any form of communication with the other parents. So where it starts to become conflicted is if there needs to be meetings with the parents, you really cannot put those two individuals on the same email because technically that one parent cannot be in contact with the other parent at all. Now, 
if and when that does happen, again, the school districts are not parties to to these orders. It would be in the best interest of the parent who has that protective order against them to just notify the school districts, hey, I am not allowed to be in any form of communication with this person. If you need to reach us regarding the, our child, please use a separate email for me only. And that you might need to hold separate meetings for the parents. That exhausts my questions. So I'm going to open the floor. Jess, Paige, is there anything else families or schools should know regarding these issues? Rich, I think the most important thing is is that everybody has to keep in mind that a school district's responsibility lies with the children and educating them. They should not be in the middle of a custody battle trying to make determinations as to you know where a child is residing or who is picking up the student on any given day. I think the best thing that you can do is make the best decisions in the best interests of the children with the information that you have been provided. And that is the goal here. We continue to look out for our students. And sometimes we are pulled away from the educational setting and what the goal really is on a day-to-day basis because we are trying to deal with parents who cannot agree on certain things with regard to their children. But you make the best decision given the circumstances and you stick with it. And you're not going to be drugged into court as a result of that. And of course, obviously, if the situation is so intense or rises to a level where an administrator or school district is not comfortable making that decision, then you pick up the phone and you call your solicitor and you get appropriate guidance on the situation. Great advice. You know, that really was informative. And for educators and families out there going through this difficult balancing act, I know this was a really valuable segment. So, thank you, Jess and Paige, for coming on to walk our listeners through this. You were both wonderful, and I'm so happy you took the time to stop by. Thank you, Rich. Thanks, Rich. Up next, my co-host, Jonathan Huerta, talks with Jennifer Holman, superintendent of Northwestern Lehigh School District. Joining us today in the legal lunchroom, we have Jennifer Holman, superintendent of Northwestern Lehigh School District. Welcome, Jen. It's great to have you with us on the podcast. Good morning, Jonathan. Thank you for having me to talk about a really important subject for our kids. Yeah, definitely. So today, you know, as you mentioned, you know, we've been talking about some uh, really important and critical issues to schools. We've been talking about the way that family issues can affect school operations, custody orders, PFAs all of that. So and I think, Jen, you're going to be uh, have some vital information on how this really plays out in a practical sense in the districts. So Jen, how long have you been in education? I've been an educator 23 years now. Awesome. And and in your current role as superintendent? This is actually my fifth year as superintendent, all of which um, at Northwestern Lehigh, the proud superintendent at Northwestern Lehigh School District. Tell me a little bit about kind of just the background of Northwestern Lehigh. What's uh, some of the unique features of, of the district. Northwestern Lehigh is a small rural district in northwestern Lehigh County. We have about 2,000 students, um, four townships, four school buildings, two elementary schools, a middle school, and a high school. Um, and we are very proud of our students and our families and um, a very involved community. It's always great to get up there for events with your foundation and whatnot. You really see the community come together. You know, we're talking about family law today and family law issues. And inevitably, whether that's custody issues, communications issues, uh, discipline of a child, family law and disagreements in family law seep into the school district. How do you prepare 
as an administrator? How do you prepare your administration and your staff uh, for dealing with these types of issues? So I think it starts with training. And so all of our staff, including administrators, as well as building secretaries, anyone who would be in receipt of something like a custody order or a PFA needs to know how to look at those, needs to know how to interpret them and what kinds of things appear in custody orders on a regular basis. They every Each year, we ask our families to submit any changes in custody orders. And so they submit those to us electronically um, at the beginning of each school year. And then they're logged in our system. So our student management system has a, a section for custody so that we can know any custody details or any PFA details or logging any of the information in there for the staff that have access to the students. So, so how does that communication go out to the parents? Is it part of the welcome handbook or is it like a personal reach out to the families that you know have these or... I would say both. So right on a regular basis at the beginning of each year at their back to school packet, they get information that asks them to update all of their demographic information, something as simple as a cell phone update, but also ask for custody updates so that we ask for those on a regular basis. Um, also, custody updates often come when we know there has been a custody update or when there is a an interim custody order and we're expecting a, a permanent custody order. And that's where the reach out from one of our staff would come to be able to log new information in, the, in our system about um, physical custody, educational rights of parents, so that we make sure that to the best of our ability, we're supporting the family and the student um, in participating in their education. Right. No, that, that's important. You know, it sounds like certainly um, something that you, you hear a lot when uh, dealing in the school environment is communication, right, is key, right? And, and keeping that, those two lines of um, communication with the parents. Um, so, you know, to that point, recently there's been really a focus in legislation on really defining or maybe redefining and expanding the rights of parents concerning, you know, the review, approval of, of school curriculum. So have you seen some of these custody issues or, or have you seen kind of parental review come into uh, Northwestern School District? I would say the two biggest area where we see custody with parents' rights are review of things like PSSA tests or special education placements. And so sometimes the dispute between parents and what they want um, will be different when they come in, for example, when they want to be exempt from participating in PSSAs and participating in the process to be able to review the test and ask for a religious exemption from participating in the PSSAs or things like special education placements where we're looking to evaluate a child or we're looking for a particular placement for a child. And there happens to be a disagreement between the parents who are both biological parents but have varying custody rights of the children or child. What we're talking about today a lot is schools being in the middle of the parental dispute. But there's another party that's in the middle of the, the parental dispute, right? That the, the kids, right? And, you know, family issues are never easy to deal with. So especially when, when you're a child. So how, how do schools and how do you help Northwestern Lehigh School District ensure that they're helping the students during these times without obviously overstepping the lines? I think all schools would agree with this. And this is certainly a mantra at Northwestern Lehigh School District that we will always do what's in the best interest of the student. We work really hard to make sure we understand what the children need or what the child needs. Um, one of our jobs is obviously to educate a child, but also to create a safe learning environment for them to come to each day, someplace where they're comfortable, they feel safe, they have trusted adults there. Um, so if there is something that's going on with them personally or at home, they have a trusted adult counselor that they can talk to. But all of our decisions, whether it's a student in a custody dispute or not, um, is always to try to make a determination about what's best for the student, whether that's educationally, um, you know, transportation issues, where we're going to allow parents to come in and pick up a student student will always defer to what we believe is in the best interest of the student sure, because they no. are in the no. middle. <laughs> 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think we heard in the first segment them talk about, you know, really those those problematic scenarios where uh, the custody order may say something, but the student at the end of the day is kind of giving you different signals. Have, have you experienced this firsthand? For sure. We have uh, a number of custody orders in the district, as I'm sure most districts do. And so sometimes there are children who will give you different information. You know, sometimes that involves calling your solicitor to determine the interpretation of a, of a custody order or a PFA or trying to determine is there an updated custody order that you might not have or the parent not has not provided to you because your your job is to try to do what's in their best interest. Sometimes you get additional information from the children. We often sometimes get information from the police that there was an issue the night before. They there's a program that they don't they won't necessarily tell you what happened, but they'll tell you to take extra care with that child on um, the following day. And so sometimes we're alerted in different ways that there might be something that we need to take extra care. We're talking about formal legal documents, custody orders. We've talked about protections from abuse or PFA. We also see at times, you know, subpoenas where a counselor or a teacher might get subpoenaed to testify in a custody trial. So how does a school efficiently keep track of these important documents and, and then any other family changes to a school? Sure. So for any custody orders, like I said, we have a student information system that tracks the student, all their demographic information, any of the changes in their custody order, who might be a guardian, because it's not always a biological parent that, it, that has received guardianship. We have some circumstances where there's a guardian at litem appointed or there is a special advocate appointed for a child, and they um, also have to be included in paperwork and invite invitations to meetings. Um, and have certain rights as, as determined by the, the custody order. Things like subpoenas, we our staff has certainly been subpoenaed to a variety of different things. We usually reach out to our solicitor to determine um, representation or going to a custody hearing or what our level of involvement in that custody hearing should be. You know, we, we have good relationships with our families and with our students, and we want to maintain that. And part of that is advocating for the child without being um, overly involved in the custody or the family dispute that's going on because your job is to advocate and make sure that you're doing what is needed for the child to continue to come to school and maintain that relationship with them and the family as well. Absolutely. So much of this is in the moment, right? It's, it's been my experience. It's like, what do you do right here and right now? But I'll, I'll tell you, whenever we get subpoenas, one of the first thing that, things I try to do for my clients is figure out if there's a way to comply without the school staff member having to show up at the hearing, right? Because I think at times that really starts to blur that line. And as you said, it's not that you don't want to be involved, but at the end of the day, the relationship has to carry forward after that. Um, so if there's a way that we can comply from from a document perspective as opposed to actual appearance in court. Uh, that's certainly what, what I try to do. And I, it sounds like that's certainly what you prefer as well for the districts. Yeah, I mean, you want to be helpful and you want to do what you need to do to help the child and be involved. But some of the some of the custody issues are contentious. And if there's a way to comply and maintain that relationship, in some cases, you have to remember a school district principal or a school teacher will have a relationship for 13 years with that family and have 13 more years of um, work with that family to be able to maintain that relationship. And, and the, although there are legal documents and, and they have rights, you try to find a way to be able to comply, but still continue to build that relationship with the family and know that the student knows that you're a trusted adult in the school system that they can trust. One last question that just came to mind. You know, we've talked about, you know, the students in the middle, the district in the middle. And obviously you've got the parents as well. What about working with other districts? Do you ever have scenarios where there's competing parents in two different districts and custody orders not clear and, and you 
really just kind of have to work it out with the other district. How does that work out? Yeah, often um, custody orders as well as homeless. Um, there's often times where we're going to do a best interest determination. We're going to look at all of the information about the child, what the custody order says, where the parents live if they're in two different districts. And then sometimes the custody orders are interesting and they have unique caveats that you have to interpret. And really sitting down on a, a phone call or a meeting with the other district, the parents and the student to be able to determine student if it's an appropriate age of the student to be able to determine what in their best interest? Where should it be um, best for them to go to school? And sometimes the, the not disrupting the student or removing them from a circumstance or a school setting that they're familiar with, especially during a time when everything else might be in turmoil, might be in the best interest of the child right. to be able to stay in a school system if everyone can agree to do that. And so sometimes that means collaboration with another school district for transportation. Sometimes it ends up in an interim order where you don't necessarily want to change a student's placement um, until it, a, a permanent custody order. Um, comes into play because you really want that continuity for the student to be able to have some familiarity and some comfortability, especially when everything else might not be in a, in a stable status. Absolutely. Well, Jen, thank you so much for being here with me today. Uh, you know, you and I had a conversation before we did this about really the aim of this podcast. And I, and I said, one of the things we're trying to do is get out information somewhat to just the general public. And it's hard to think of a of an area of law besides, or an area of, of the school setting besides family components that really the general public is involved in and needs to be aware of. So again, I thank you so much for taking time out of your day to be here with us today. Yeah, no problem. It's a really important subject for parents to listen to about interpreting their own custody orders and school districts to learn from. And so we appreciate anything that the that we're able to provide to families and, and educators who might listen and uh, certainly reach out to your solicitor if there's questions or things that you haven't answered. <laughs> Thanks so much, Jen. You know, Jonathan, given how important these issues are, it's critical that educators think deeply about the topics we discussed today. These issues often arise in the midst of custody disputes or other difficult and complex family situations. So it's vital that schools have established best practices and a trusted system in place to handle these matters. Absolutely, Rich. Today was the perfect example of the fact that the school day and the school environment doesn't end at the gates. And a school would do well to be informed as to the things that are happening in a student's family life because it inevitably will seep into the school district. Thanks for joining us today for The Legal Lunchroom. If you like our show, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also visit our website at kingspry.com to find more education law resources and programming. This podcast is a production of King Spry's Education Law Practice Group. It is meant to be strictly informational and does not constitute legal advice. Should you have any questions about our topic today, please consult with your local legal counsel. This episode was produced by Steel Pixel Studios. Attorney Paige Gross researched the episode, and our theme music is by Don Lotney. Until next time, I'm Rich Campbell. And I'm Jonathan Huerta. We hope you will join us again in The Legal Lunchroom. Lunchroom.